You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, May 9th, the year of our Lord, 2021. A jam-packed show, as always, on deck for you tonight. T-minus 118 days until kickoff, and we've really got no time to waste, because to be honest with you, I, well, hold on, let me, all right, now I'm looking at our content map over the next few months, and to be honest, as everyone else says the dreaded O word out there, I have no clue how we're going to fit all this in. So we got a ton to get to. Hey, he warned you. He warned you. It's what we're going to lead the show with in just a few minutes. I know we believe in pronouns around here. At the moment, I'm just going to leave it at he. He warned you. I'll tell you what I mean. How about the Pac-12 and the Big 12? I record the Late Kick Extra podcast every Tuesday and Thursday morning, and it's all Q&A. It's all you submitting and then me responding. But Bryce, friend of the program, submitted a question for a podcast this coming week that I said, well, let's not wait because that's going to go really good on the Sunday night show. Who do you think? I'm going to put the question out there, and I'll give you some time to think about it. If I were to tell you conference-wise, doesn't matter who wins it, but conference-wise, which of those conferences needs a national title more? Pac-12, Big 12. You can have your own reasoning. Just think about that. We'll get to it in a second. How about the gap for Ohio State? I had one of you uh, last week, ironically enough, on one of those podcasts suggest that there's still a gap, a big gap between Ohio State, Alabama. I've always wondered how we quantify these gaps. On any given day, it's called a point spread. On any given afternoon at the end of a game, it's called a scoreboard. But yet program-wise, how do you really quantify a gap? Think on that, because I don't think there is really one, but I apparently may be in the minority there. And also, here at 24-7 Sports, we debuted our brand new post-spring top 25. It's right here. It's at the bottom. I can still feel the heat gently resonating off of this piece of paper because, number one, Colin, I got the printer to work for my laptop, so congratulations to me. And number two, just printed that bad boy off not too long ago. So we got a ton to get into. A little nugget I dropped on, I think, the Thursday show really made a splash. I mentioned to you guys very subtly, I thought about whispering it, that we're going to be doing some pretty creative stuff with Instagram Live this coming season. A lot of our betting content will be pushed over there. Now, I'm going to talk a ton of college football betting on the shows. Don't think that. A bunch of you thought I was outsourcing or pushing all of my betting content off. No. The Ramen Noodle Express will chug right through the station that is Late Kick Live every single week in the season like it did last year. But we just we can't go in-depth on Wyoming versus San Diego State on the show. And I think the reasons are obvious. But what we can do is crank up the iJosh and go Instagram Live for you guys, maybe on Sunday night, maybe on Friday night. And we can talk about that stuff till we're blue in the face. So, yeah, that's coming. That's why I strongly encourage you. Beat the rush. Follow me now over there, at Late Kick Josh. All of this, when I tell you we got a bunch of content waiting for you, and it's kind of behind the dam right now, and there's a lot of pressure on that dam, hey, it's all because of you. And everything we ask you to do, everything I ask you to do to make it happen, it's free. Like the videos, like the one you're watching now maybe on YouTube, just like it. Subscribe to the channel, that's free. Leave a five-star review for the Late Kick Podcast, that's free. Subscribe to the podcast, that helps too. And also follow the social channels, at Late Kick Josh. 
And you know what I really love as we dive into the show is when you guys um, send me or tag me in evidence and pictures that you're listening to the pod, especially when you tell me where you're listening to it at, oh, I'll shoot that stuff. I'll retweet that stuff, and I will uh, share that in my story all day long. So thank you for that because a lot of you did that this week. All right, let me, um, let me dust my hands off, and let's dive in tonight. Nick Saban tried to warn you once and twice and three times a warning, if you will. And some of you listened, and some of you didn't listen. And now here we go. Henry Toa Toa is the very first thing I want to talk about, but then I want to expand this much broader than just one linebacker transferring from Tennessee to Alabama. Henry Toa Toa yesterday did make it official. He has transferred from Tennessee to Alabama. Now, this did not send off alarm bells around here. We told you two months ago it was probably happening. I know there was some Ohio State smoke, but that was not smoke that was resonating from any fire. Uh, We had pretty good guidance the whole time that if the SEC was going to pass that rule where you could immediately transfer within the conference without sitting out, Alabama was going to be the destination. For his dad's role in all of this, he made that abundantly clear when he talked to Hank South and the guys over at BamaOnline.com a couple of months ago, and we were given no reason to believe anything along those lines had changed. Well, now it's happened, okay? So just when it comes to the player, because I haven't spoken to you about this, when it comes to the player, he is an immediate impact player. But more so, he's a guy that gives them the kind of depth that they haven't had. Alabama hasn't had linebacker depth in a couple of years. One of the dirty secrets, even as they have maintained their status as one of the best in America, is linebacker's been a weakness for them. Wide receivers masked it. Quarterback has masked it. Offensive line hasn't taken a drop. Linebacker has. And Alabama got perilously thin there. You know how rarely I use that word. And now they're not anymore. You could make an argument as Preview Magazine season approaches. You know how much we love that. You can make an argument their inside linebacker room and their outside linebacker room are among, if not at the very top of the sport again. And also what they can do is a concept that's almost foreign. It's been so long since they could do it. There's this word. And sometimes you can use this word in a sentence about how you're going to approach a game when you have depth. And it's called rotate. You can rotate. So everyone's looking at this as an either or. Oh my goodness, Toa Toa's coming in. What are they going to do with Jalen Moody? He is, he's bided his time. He's waited his turn. Well, what they'll probably do is just end up playing both of them. Maybe one more than the other, but what they'll probably do is find ways and various personnel packages to get a number of, um, number of guys reps because, man, they're, they're so loaded. And a lot of young guys coming in too. But I didn't want to talk about Toa Toa. I just wanted to touch on him. What I want to do is broaden this out a little bit because I seem to remember Some people, maybe some more notable than others, but some people indicating to me that this whole transfer portal deal, it was going to even out the sport. You know, it was going to take from the haves, it was going to give to the have-nots, and all of these mega power programs, Alabama chief among them, they weren't just going to be able to stack all these good players on a roster, and so those guys were going to go in there, and the ones that started, they were probably going to stay, and then the ones that were riding the bench when they knew they could start elsewhere, there was going to be this mass exodus every single year. I seem to remember that. But I also seem to remember that we came on this program and said, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. And here we are now. Granted, we're still only a couple of years into what we could call the transfer portal era. We're now several years in comparatively to the college football playoff era. So we figured out a little bit more of the impact that's having on the game. But now we're starting to learn about the transfer portal. We will eventually learn about name, image, and likeness. If you ever expand the playoff past four, you're going to learn about that. But what I want to talk about at the moment is the group of people, and it's a sizable group, and I don't mention this disrespectfully, it's just a difference of opinion when it comes to something, 
like college football, okay? But I want to talk to those of you who continue to support these measures and support these as advancements and progress towards balancing the sport out. And I just want to ask, is it working out the way that you thought it was going to? In fact, I would like to ask you to name me a single change that college football has undergone that has brought Alabama and the like closer to the pack or brought the pack closer to Alabama because I'm thinking about everything back to the Saban rule when they passed it. Head coaches can't be on the road to evaluate and recruit in the spring. Well, the guy has finished first in the recruiting rankings, nine out of the last 11 years. And then you had not supporting standardizing the rules where RPOs wouldn't take over the game and you had the offensive lineman three yards downfield. He wanted the NFL rule. You said no. He said, okay, is this what you want college football to be? A lot of you said yes. So he just built an entire buzzsaw of an offense, and now you're lucky if you keep him under 50 points a game. And then the college football playoff comes along because Alabama got in a 2011 title game that you didn't think they had any business in. I disagree, but nevertheless, he said, hey, this is going to devalue bowl season. And what he didn't say, but it was true, is we're going to make it in and we're going to win anyway. And so you created your playoff. And they've won three more since then. They've only missed one. And so there we are with the playoff. And now we're talking about expanding it again. But then the whole transfer portal issue comes up. Everybody's excited. This is what's going to get Alabama. This is what's going to really bring them back to earth. And he says, we're going to take advantage of this. We're going to lose good players. We're going to go get great players. And the rich are going to get richer. And he says it all the while with this calm demeanor on his face. It's almost like a concerned but very docile father saying, You can make the decision, son. You're just going to have to live with the consequences. And right now, college football, essentially what they're doing in order to get rid of their Alabama debt is they're just going and buying more credit cards. College football is the 20-year-old that thinks he's figured out the solution to his debt. And he goes and buys the credit card to pay off his debt. Then he's got more credit card debt. And then so on and so forth until you can't get out of the debt. And right now, Alabama, the sum of all these changes that have been made to college football is they are as good as they've ever been. The sum of all these changes is Nick Saban is as good as he's ever been. And the sum to all these changes is there is a bigger gulf between the haves and the have-nots. And so here comes that same crowd again. And that same crowd, as sure as the sun rises in the morning, someone will find a way into my Twitter mentions, and they'll start talking about how expanding the playoff is going to be different. Now this, 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 and this didn't work out, but expanding this playoff, that's going to be the answer to all of our problems. And I'm telling you, please learn from history. Not that you're going to make the call on this, but please learn from history. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. What's going to end up happening is Nick Saban's going to look at you like he already is, and he's going to not support expansion, and a lot of other ones are. Uh, Shocker, because it's their only way in. And a lot of people are going to look at it and say, well, that's just, I think that's what's best for the game. Really what you mean is it's what's best for your program because it probably gives you percentage-wise a better chance right now. But what I simply ask with all these changes is this. Do you know any fair system out there thus far designed? Well, I wouldn't say designed by anyone in college football. I'll put it like this. Do you know any fair system out there thus far designed by man, period, that has built in a mechanism that can balance superiority and can balance greatness, because I don't. I'm looking around, and I'm looking at whether it's recruiting rules in the spring or whether it's linemen three yards downfield or one yard downfield or whether it's expanding a playoff or the transfer portal or NIL. I just keep seeing the greatest in the game, in this case Nick Saban, able to leverage it better than anyone else and him using it as a launching pad to further distance his program from the rest of the sport. 
You say expanding this and tweaking that and changing this will be what provides more balance in the sport. I say him retiring is at this point the only way, or you beating him is the only way that you're going to balance out Alabama. But here he is telling you again, like he's been nice and kind enough to do so many times before, don't expand it. Don't do it. Don't. And he's, he's got that docile look on his face again. He's not smiling. He's not winking. It's kind of like when Jimbo the other day said he was going to do you-know-what to him. I mean, the most logical explanation that came to Nick Saban's mind when his biggest competition in the West talked about beating him was, is he even talking about football? Or is he, what, is he talking about another sport? So that's where we are right now in the West. But by all means... Keep tweaking, that, keep tweaking that rule book 25% every year. I'm sure it'll eventually play out or pay off. I had a question from Bryce. The Late Kick Extra podcast, as I said, we record every Tuesday and Thursday, and it's all Q&A. So Bryce submits a question for the Late Kick Extra podcast, but I said, let's not wait. Let's do it right now. And Bryce wanted to ask about the Big 12 and the Pac-12. You can think along with me. I'm going to do a, a good old-fashioned countdown, no hesitation, answer out loud, and then we'll go into it. Three, two, one, who do you think needs a national championship in a worse way right now, the Big 12 or the Pac-12? My answer is the Pac-12. I ran a poll on Twitter today. This thing was oh, like 65, 35, I would say. Most of you leaned Pac-12. I had Pac-12 with zero hesitation, and I'll tell you it's the same thing I think right now that saves the ACC. See, the ACC should have a severe image problem across college football. The conference as a whole has been inexcusably terrible, really, when you talk about the direct access to big media markets, the direct access to really, really good recruiting pipelines, especially in relation to some of their brethren in the Big 12 and in the Pac-12. But you haven't heard a ton of widespread criticism about the ACC. And why is that? Well, that tiger paw, that orange tiger paw, that's why. Because Clemson has, for better or for worse, when it comes to perception, they have masked a lot of the inferiority that really exists in the rest, has existed in the rest of the ACC. Again, fair or not, the vast majority of the college football public judges a conference by the top. That's why the SEC has no problem. The Big Ten has no problem because they've got Ohio State. The ACC has had no problem because they've had Clemson. I would also say the Big 12 has been able to avoid this spotlight for the wrong reasons because they've got Oklahoma. But the Pac-12 doesn't have that. Who's the alpha dog in the Pac-12? Who's it been? The answer probably right now is Oregon, but what has Oregon really done relative to a lot of these other programs? I mean, Oklahoma is a perennial contender, at the very least, to make the playoff. The Pac-12, we don't even ask about one team. We just ask as a whole. Anyone going to be able to make it? If you're watching on YouTube right now, Jesse's throwing up the entire history of the college football playoff for the Pac-12, and that is from 2014 to now. Oregon, I think a lot of people almost forget Oregon played for a national championship that first year, I think it was. Yeah, and they lost to Ohio State pretty convincingly, but you had Washington in 2016 against Alabama. They lost, and that was it. That's all she wrote. So who is it? Nobody is the answer in the Pac-12. That's why there's this big identity crisis out there, especially relative to these other conferences. Oklahoma, contender every year, and I also think in the back of people's minds, not only do you think of Texas, you got Iowa State there. Iowa State has been very good for several years, but the Texas card is always there because even though they have massively underachieved for several years now, everyone knows what the recruiting rankings say. And the recruiting rankings are not the end-all be-all, but what I mean by that is, like Director Emeritus Collin and I were talking like 30 minutes ago, the thing about Texas that's always in the back of your mind is 
you may not expect them to do anything, but you know, like whatever that thing is where a team just pops, some teams out there, if they pop, their maximum potential is eight and four. If Texas ever pops, and they hadn't in a while, but if they ever pop, you know, based on the sheer volume of talent in their locker room, they're capable of doing a lot more than just eight and four. Not to mention that Longhorn brand is iconic and means a whole lot around college football. And that brand equity means a whole lot. And you, again, do not have that on the West Coast right now. So the Big 12 does not have that Larry Scott Pac-12 stench on it. The Pac-12 obviously does. Now, there there were even rumors today, and I'm not going to repeat them because I can't back them up, about who may take over as Pac-12 commissioner out there. But whoever takes over, there are going to be proposals thrown at that person all over the place about how to rectify and repair the Pac-12's image. And it's going to have a lot to do with how the conference is marketed. And it's going to have a lot to do with where we play our conference championship game. Of course, the media deals are going to be paramount. But none of that solves anything if you don't play good football. Really, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. That's what began this slide into mediocrity or less. And that's the only thing that's really going to save it because you could execute the most shrewd media deals known to man. You could have the best person or group of people in the commissioner seats and the president seats out there known to man. None of this makes up for inferior product on the field. None of it. You got to have it. A lot of those others, there are variables. This is a constant. It's a requirement. You got to have better football. If Clay Helton's not the guy at USC, you got to go find the guy. Mario Cristobal and what he's doing at Oregon needs to be duplicated elsewhere. Jimmy Lake, let's fingers crossed, he play, it pays off at Washington, but you got to get your football product in order. And then magically, and this is going to shock some people, but magically, it will increase the value of the product in the long term. You'll be able to acquire proper media rights. Because the thing about when people watch your program is, Other networks take notice, and they tend to want to invest in that. Uh, There has been a time in the very recent past that the Pac-12 actively sought a media partner and couldn't find one. Before I move on, let me explain what I just said. It doesn't take long, like 15 seconds. The Pac-12, they have the Pac-12 network, and they laud themselves publicly out there because they they own it. You know, they, they didn't partner with anyone. That was out of necessity, people, not choice. They lobbied ESPN. ESPN essentially looked, and not just ESPN, other networks too, they looked, this is me looking out west, and they said, no thanks. And that was it. That's why the Pac-12 is an independently run network and in some ways pretty ineffectively run, uh, right up to where the the network was located geographically. So I think the Pac-12 needs this thing a lot more than the Big 12. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Ohio State is what I want to talk about next as we roll on here tonight. I want to ask you something. How big a gap do you think there is between Ohio State and Alabama? I think the common answer, well, not common, I think a frequent answer I would get on this is, well, they just played, so let's go to the scoreboard. 52 to 24, well, it seems to me like the gap is right at four touchdowns. Well, that is, to me, ridiculous. Using that logic, let me tell you how ridiculous it is. Using that logic... That would mean there was also a 13-point gap between Ole Miss and Ohio State last year in favor of Ole Miss. 
because Ole Miss played Bama. They only lost by 15. So if we're doing the whole transitive property, final score tells everything about the status of a program deal, then that means Ole Miss is greater than Ohio State, and I don't think anyone thinks that. So what do we really think here? Because I'm going to tell you my thoughts, but I want to get your thoughts too. So you can give them in the comment section wherever you're listening. I want to know how big the gap actually is. I was over on The Athletic reading some of Bill Landis' stuff. He covers Ohio State for The Athletic, and he was doing a state of the program for the Buckeyes. And I was really caught, and it really caught my attention, about one of his main observations. One of his main observations was, you know, Ryan Day's gone through this offseason, excuse me, X season, and he could have made a lot of changes. Ryan Day, coming off a national championship loss to the degree they had against Alabama, or someone in his position may be inclined to make major changes because the knee-jerk reaction is we're not close to the team we got to beat because the scoreboard says so, 52 to 24. My goodness, that's four touchdowns. So we got to make wholesale changes. We got to overturn the staff. Ryan Day didn't do that. We got to go get a quarterback. We can't be starting a true freshman next year. We got to go to the portal. Ryan Day didn't do that. In fact, we got to go attack the transfer portal at several positions. Ryan Day did not do that. Well, we certainly have to overhaul philosophy, right? I mean, we got to get a new defense, new offense in here. He didn't do any of that. Ryan Day largely sat there and said, I think we're pretty much where we need to be with maybe some minor tweaks needed here and there. And he's right. If that's what Ryan Day is thinking and his actions are what I'm using to judge this, I think he's right. Ohio State's there. There is no big gap. To me, there is no large gap. There was on that given night, in that given game, that's what the final score dictated. But really the difference here is not a Grand Canyon. The difference is just degrees, small degrees that can make a big difference, obviously, over the span of a season. Ryan Day knows he's there. Ryan Day knows there are just fractions and degrees separating his program from even the Alabamas of the world. I was reading the other day, actually, and it applies very well here. It's just kind of morbid. In 1979, there was a sightseeing expedition. A big commercial airliner. They rented it. I don't know who they were. They were well off. And they packed that thing with over 250 people. They flew from New Zealand to Antarctica. They were just going to fly over and they were going to check it out. Look, there's a polar bear. Snap, snap. And instead, they crashed into the side of a volcano and everyone got killed. I told you this was morbid. It was a while back, so it's okay to talk about it now. Um, What happened? That was the immediate question. How could an aviation disaster of this magnitude occur? So everyone started diving in. Investigations start happening. And everyone asks, all right, where is the big mechanical error? Or where is the equipment malfunction or failure? Or where is the massive amount of human error that had to have occurred for an aviation disaster of this magnitude to take place? And they kept looking, and they didn't find one. And then they looked some more, and they didn't find one. Well, here was the problem. They were looking for something that was this bright, blinking red light, and actually what they were looking for were degrees. Two of them, not in temperature, but in navigation terms. Two degrees. And what they ended up finding out at the conclusion of their report is everything was fine, nothing wrong with the plane. The only malfunction was that when they were plotting their navigation points, they miscalculated by two degrees. Now, two degrees is not a whole lot. I ran the numbers. I didn't even have stats and info bother with this. I ran the numbers. If you and I were standing on a goal line on a football field, and we walked to the other end of the field, so 100 yards, in other words, and I took a two-degree different angle than you, when we got to that other goal line, do you know how far apart we'd be? We'd be about 10 and a half to 11 feet apart. I could flick a paper football further than that. So you think two degrees, not a big deal. Well, when you fly from New Zealand to Antarctica, it's the difference in 28 miles. And it's the difference between being able to look at some nice ice glaciers versus how that story ended. 
So to draw it to much less consequential matters, let me clearly state that, this being college football, you can either look at the end of Ohio State season and you can say, that was terrible. They got blown out. Oh, we got to blow this whole thing up. We got to start over. Or you can realize there aren't really big changes that have to be made here. The roster's there. The coaching staff's there. We got the head coach. We've got everything we need. Program energy is right. Culture is right. Four touchdowns. That's what the scoreboard says. Well, I, being Ryan Day, say it's just incremental fractions here and there. You may, for example, look at it and say, oh, we got to blow up the offense and start again entirely. He may look at it and say, all right, where are the tweaks? And this is the key, because even if there is a minor gap, you still got to know where are the small areas that we can make up stuff in. But asking around to coaches, the actual changes that are made sound a lot more like this. You may look at your defensive backs, and you may tie into your strength and conditioning program a 22% increased workload on hip flexors and quads based on some of the data and feedback and GPS information that you get. That's the kind of actual change that's made here. You may look at your defensive lineman, and you may cut carb count and caloric in count by uh, 8% to 10% here and there, and you think that that's going to manifest itself on the field of play. You may change your running back room's average sleep time from 7 hours 55 minutes a night to 8 hours 12 minutes because the data says so. These are little nothing changes. These are fractions of degrees of change that cumulatively, when added up over the course of a season, could actually pay off. Could be the difference in a win and a loss. You never know. It's hard to quantify that stuff, but you trust your process. But I would argue this. This is going to sound crazy, but I think it may end up coming to fruition that this could be the easiest coaching job that Ryan Day's ever had. The 2021 college football season could end up being the easiest coaching job for the rest of Ryan Day's career. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying relative to what could come if they end up winning at all. It could be. Because think about where Ohio State is right now. He doesn't have to worry about any kind of hunger, any kind of motivation. He doesn't have to worry about anyone's mentality and where they are from the neck up when they show up to work in the morning. Players and coaches alike, there is no complacency. There's not even a whiff or a threat of it. There is no what can Ohio State do for me in that locker room? It's all, what can I do for Ohio State? Because again, that selfishness and complacency, it's never even had a chance to set in yet. His staff is still intact, and he's got a good staff there, and he's got a roster full of studs. There's no talent disadvantage. He's got all the ingredients for a championship season. So whether they win it or not, that's a whole other story. Ryan Day has got, relative to what the challenges would be if he wins one, That right there is about as ready-made a coaching situation as any head coach could ever hope to walk into. So I don't think there's any kind of gap. If the gap is there, it's minuscule. And for all we know, the day of the NFL draft, maybe Ohio State passed Alabama. Maybe Ohio State right now is the best team in the country. We won't know that yet until the end of the year, or at the very least, uh, the beginning of the year. But I don't think there's a gap at all. I don't talk about a whole lot of polls on the show, uh, with one notable exception that we will debut later this fall. But I was involved in the 24-7 Sports uh, National Experts. Can you believe that label they choose to put on me? National Experts, and we did the post-spring top 25, which is available right now on the front page of 247sports.com. And so I wanted to go through this because I had, uh, I had some differences of opinion 
at least when it came to what the collective opinion was on the top 25. Uh, Alabama at the top, that's not a shocker. Oklahoma, I think, number two, maybe if you have been tuned out, maybe a little bit of a surprise. But I agree with our national guys, and this is kind of the average of how we all voted. Oklahoma sitting there at number two. Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, three, four, five. I think I had Georgia and Clemson flip. No big deal there. My Iowa State Cyclones at number six. Now, the question is, is our head pressed against the ceiling, or can we break through that ceiling? And can Matt Campbell lead us to the promised land this year? And by us, I just mean the team. No affiliation, of course. North Carolina just creeping around there inside the top 10. A&M, Oregon, Notre Dame rounds out the top 10. So uh, again, we, I think Jesse has a graphic, so he can just roll through them here. But I wanted to point some things out. Again, these were released today, just a few hours ago. So if you want to read it in very, very uh, slow motion and your own speed, you can go to 247sports.com. Florida was number 12, at least when it came to the cumulative. I had Florida at number 10. Now, I can readily admit to you they may be a little high there. I just want to know this. Wherever you rank Florida, you can do your own poll. Are we remembering the end of the 2020 season, or do we just honestly believe this is what Florida is going to be in the 2021 season, or at least this is where they start? And I was willing to give them a little bit of benefit of doubt. A lot of that just has to do with cumulative talent on a roster. So I've got them at 10, whereas we collectively have them at 12. Oregon, I got a little bit different story on Oregon, too. I had Oregon down at 11. We had them as a group inside the top 10. Same deal here. It's not there's a big difference. I really want to hear more about Anthony Brown at quarterback entering the summer months and their offensive line. It's a mild concern for me. Probably the biggest one on that team would be offensive line. So again, just kind of a minor difference there. But how about we agree? My my own poll and our collective poll has LSU at 13. Boy, that's a lot of trust. That's a lot of stock put into the realization and validation of players because they got a lot of players on their talent roster, both sides. And they got a lot of guys where you look at, I've said this several times about LSU, you look at the names, including the quarterback room, and you say, how are they going to be terrible with all these names again this year? Well, the short answer is I don't think they're going to be terrible. I think they certainly warrant a top 15 consideration. But again, it's a lot of trust to put into I don't know how you say what I'm about to say. An unproven commodity? A head coach can't be unproven if he's won a title within the last 24 months. So I'll just say this version of LSU is unproven. Let me put it like that. Uh, Southern Cal, I had lower by three spots than our national team did. They had him 14. I had him 17. No individual spot. I just don't think as highly of, of USC at the moment. But there was one I had ranked all the way up at 21 that our national team did not rank at all, and that's Kentucky. I am significantly higher on Kentucky uh, being a top 25 caliber program entering 2021. But again, there are still a lot of moving parts to play out with the Cats, not to mention the quarterback position being most among them. Will Levis, if he were to start for them, he's not even on campus yet. He hasn't even come in yet. And so I had some back and forth with some folks the other day thinking a guy like Gatewood maybe is better than Will Levis, better suited to take over. I'm just telling you, you get a new offense in there. You don't get to see the spring game. I don't really know that there are many definitives for Kentucky football. I just know as a whole, I really like where they are. I like where they are now as much as I've ever liked where they've been under Mark Stoops. And again, I'm not telling you they're top 10. Okay, It's a little bit different. Uh, that, that window to be ranked inside the top 25, I mean, this is where the coastal Carolinas of the world were able to hang out and rise above and beyond last year. Uh, speaking of coastal, they had them ranked and I didn't, but I did have Louisiana ranked. Napier, at Louisiana, and Luke Fickle, with Cincinnati being ranked way higher in this, 
Think about where they are this year. Because a lot of stock's been placed in their programs and their names, and they are sky high right now on everyone's hot board. Uh, They could long since have had major Power 5 jobs, but they've got jobs that are better than a lot of Power 5 jobs. Even I'll tell you that. I wonder, when we get to the end of this year, will both of their stocks be equal to or higher than they are right now? Or could one over, maybe both, but could one of them go the Jeff Brom route? Now, Brom was at, well, he is at Purdue, so it's not a G5, but it's still kind of the same thing. Brom's name was very hot. It was on everyone's radar. And then a season and two seasons happened and the production didn't get duplicated. And so now his name kind of fell back a little bit. So keep an eye on that. Washington at, according to our collection, number 23, Washington at 23 feels probably about as sneaky as any team in this thing. I was watching Brad Powers the other day on Twitter talk about this, and he made some good points. If there weren't so many questions from like the head coach and quarterback spots at Washington, this would be the year for the Huskies. Maybe it still will be. Question doesn't mean a bad thing if it gets answered in the positive. They do not play Utah, nor do they play Southern Cal from the South. They play, I think, Oregon and Arizona State at home. Uh, They got Michigan for an out-of-conference, and they go there to play Michigan, I believe. But that's set up really well for Jimmy Lake and company. Michigan not ranked. Penn State, meanwhile, ranked in the 19 to 20 range uh, by us right now collectively, and that's just something to keep an eye on. I think a lot of people in the Big Ten view those programs as being comparable. Both had very down years last year, both overhauling portions offensively this year. Neither one really thinks they have every question answered at quarterback, even though Sean Clifford is a multi-year starter at this point, but we'll see. That game doesn't happen until later in November. We'll see. Louisiana at Texas in week one. Boy, won't that be fun. Penn, that was close. It almost went down the wrong pipe, Colin. Penn State plays Wisconsin in week one. Clemson obviously plays Georgia in week one. And then there are two games within the span of the first two weeks from teams that are ranked in the 10 to 15 range against teams that are ranked in the top five. Miami plays Bama week one. Is it competitive? Of course, an upset would shock the world. Is it competitive, or is it one of those situations where Miami gets broken mentally and they don't recover until week seven? Bookmark that. We'll talk about it later. Oregon, in week two, goes to Ohio State. Probably going to be at that one. Uh, That is the same deal. This game was supposed to happen in Eugene last year. Had to get canceled. So there are a lot of things to look at here. This is certainly not my final poll, nor is it our final poll. When we get to the regular season, We'll raise the curtain on the JP poll. And the JP poll, no limits, no holds barred. We go anywhere and everywhere with that one. It's much more of an odds maker power rating style poll. You don't just win and move up or lose and move down in that one. So thank you so much for watching tonight. Remember, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to book a Zoom session, I think I have two spots open this week. But it got pointed out to me that it's not fair that I go first served when I do a live show on Sunday night. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you. I got a couple of sessions open this week for Zoom consultations, and I'm not going to check my inbox until tomorrow at noon. So you got until then, and I'll just draw two of them. So until then, thank you again. Like the video on the way out. Subscribe. You know the whole drill. I don't have to beg you. For Director Emeritus Colin, for Jesse and the entire crew in Connecticut, where, by the way, the citizens are known as Connecticutites, which I was today years old when I learned. How about that? For all of them and myself, thank you for watching. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.